Welcome to Taiwan War 20 on the Child of Peach. And for our 20th episode, we're going to talk Taiwanese children's cinema-ish. Grabbing an icon from Japanese folklore and putting a Taiwan reefer madness spin on it. This is a type of fantasy with, with exploding heads, tiny cocks, and dangerous fire stunts filmmakers gave to their young audience. Plus, creepy peach puppet. And, uh, you know, me and Todd, we're, we are presumably adults and uh, we, we... Chronologically. Yeah, chronologically. And we enjoy this kind of stuff, so we, we're, not, we're not ashamed to be here to talk of 1987's children's fantasy spectacle called The Child of Peach. And I'm Kennedy. And with me, therefore, is the incredible multimedia man, Todd Statman. So say hi, buddy. Hi, yes, incredible as it may seem, I am here. Hello, everybody. It's like, see the man podcast, see the man do radio show, see. <laughs> <laughs> see the man sleep for one week solid. <laughs> but uh, okay, buddy, how are you doing? And uh, you are also free to just plug away, first of all, now that we've uh, lifted your spirits uh, by na- by dubbing you a very incredible multimedia man. <laughs> Listed the veil of secrecy over my incredibleness. Um I'm doing swell. Um, do you want me to plug all my shit now? <laughs> plug that- as much uh, or as little as you like. What is relevant in the month of uh, October for uh, for Todd Statman, the multimedia man? When is this going to be broadcast? Is it going to be, or I shouldn't say broadcast, I'm old. Yeah, because at this point, you know, probably the biggest thing that's coming up is the Halloween episode of Pop Offensive, the Pop Offensive Haunted House, mm-hmm. which will probably have come and gone by the time you hear this. So I won't hype it up too much. Uh, so that's what I've been working on mostly. So it's like a playlist of Halloween related stuff. Yeah, but it's a little bit more hardcore than that because we wanted to do sort of an adult thing. So uh, rather than uh, novelty songs like, you know, Monster Mash and about monsters go-go dancing, there's a lot. We're going for stuff that's a little more disturbing. You know, we've got some old hillbilly murder ballads and (laughs) songs by unbalanced people. And just we want to, you know, it'll give you the creeps, which I think a good Halloween show won't be. Oh, and the and the mummy dance with the wolf man. There will be a little of that. But it's good. There's going to be some seriously. You you would probably like it. We've got some pretty industrial stuff. Uh, it's going to be a very different episode of Pop Offensive, to like say a, the Like least. a Halloween noise core special from Pop Offensive. <laughs> my my book, Funky Bollywood, is still out there. As colorful as ever. As color, yeah, as, as informative and colorful as ever. If you haven't bought it yet, it is available from Amazon and most other reputable online retailers. Are, are you eventually, like, in terms of a book yeah, and your book, is it... Uh, eventually naturally going to evolve into digital formats as well or that that is not the kind of release that is slated for that kind of thing the problem with that is it's so graphic intense that it would have to be completely relayed out for for a digital version and so nobody wants to do that at this point um but who knows maybe the sky's the limit 
you know, it's a book that's uh, it's in, in so many colors that it fits every season of the year. So, like, if you hear this in the spring, Funky Bollywood is uh, is still uh, is still valid to go to go to in all of that. It's a perennial favorite. Right on. Well, uh, that we we have all your links obviously in the in the show post. So uh, and uh, you obviously have your blog running as well, the 40k blog and uh, the 40k brand. Yes, the 40k brand is strong in 2015. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, let's uh, do the rest of the plugs really quickly. This is Taiwan War on the podcast On Fire Network. We have shows on Taiwanese cinema, as you well know, if you listen to this. Hong Kong cinema, Japanese cinema, sleazy cinema, ninjas, and stuff like that. And even bonus episodes exclusive for the website. If you have any feedback or comments, we would love to hear from you. The email address is podcastonfire at googlemail.com. On the top of the page uh, that I just mentioned, there are some uh, colorful, clever buttons that leads you to our social media, our Facebook page, our discussion group, as well as our Twitter, our iTunes feed. And uh, if you like us and would like to have your podcasts uh, delivered promptly, then please subscribe and even leave a star rating or, or a comment, as well as stream us on Stitcher Radio, either the other website that uh, we link to or the Apple App Store, Google Play applications and as for my writing uh, i write about these kind of movies as well as uh, well as uh, different genres in hong kong cinema uh, godfrey ho movies the ninja stuff and uh, just a, a potpourri of a variety of messed up and even ordinary genres over there at sogoodreviews.com and my video hub is lizzykvideo.com and my twitter handle is at sogoodreviews and uh, we always mentioned uh, a good friend, Jesus Perez Molina, his blog Golden Ninja Warrior Chronicles, and specifically his Taiwanese black movies posts. And and what that means is that he has t- taken the time to identify some of the Taiwanese movies in the, ver- in the various Godfrey Ho movies, as well as the stuff over at Filmark that they, uh, they bought these movies and merged them with uh, ninja action footage and stuff like that. So uh, it's a valid identification process. So that's the plug, sir, but we also have a rundown of what's to come, even though we only cover one movie. So uh, first of all, we'll talk of the sort of literary background to The Child of Peach. We're going to talk uh, Peach Boy, essentially, and its impact and his impact in culture and media, as well as some notes on the cast and crew of The Child of Peach. And this will be followed by our review and discussion of the movie at hand. And I've noted the running times in this section, and those running times also turn up in the iPhone podcast applications if you application if you click the show art after downloading. So uh, they'll, they'll be there if you want to jump straight ahead to the review but uh, let's uh, let's start then with Child of Peach from 1987 and the plot that I sort of hastily and uh, probably poorly put together so uh, bear with me calm and peace in the peach garden is disrupted when King Devil steals the sword of the sun and it lights out in the garden literally and on many levels a master of the garden holds off King Devil while the mother sends their child into a peach and to earth there, an old childless couple discover the giant peach. They see the solution to their food shortage, but out comes a baby boy instead. It all reminds me of uh, the Feng Shenbang sort of like process. Like, uh, yes. <laughs> you know, th- there it was this uh, disgusting flesh ball, essentially. Here is a peach. So it's a bit more like uh, children's friendly in that regard. But uh, out of the peach comes uh, a baby boy who quickly grows up to become a bigger boy who is played in more adult form by female actor actress lin xiao lu she robert he peach boy joins the army along with friends of the peach garden that we see in the beginning of the movie which is uh, the human representation of a dog a monkey and a cock so uh, they they team up with uh, 
uh, another character, Nobis character called Melon, to fight King Devil. Not very complicated. I, I sure I'm probably made it uh, a lot more uh, complicated. So there we are. One thing I wanted to say is, yeah, the origin with him hatching out of this big bulbous thing, it did remind me of um, Thrilling Sword and those kind of movies. This version uh, in this movie, his origin, also remind me a lot of Superman. Oh, yeah, of course. In an emergency situation, his parents from, an, you know, it's, I guess it's a, some supernatural realm, send him forth... And then he lands, you know, he's found by this old childless couple who raise him as their own. As they raise him, he increasingly shows these remarkable abilities, super strength among them. So it's sort of a Superman story, too. I mean, that's a pretty archetypal story anyway. But sure. it, could have been, uh, it could have been a ripoff if this hadn't been actually, uh, you know, it has several hundred years um history this uh, peach boy but you know being taiwanese cinema and asian cinema in general if you look at the timeline it could have been a ripoff you know of superman right <laughs> in a way right. but uh, uh that's a good that's a good note that's a good note but uh, the Charlie peach movies they're actually i think there's two there's a third one i'm not sure until we see it again if Sem- it's semi-official I'd yeah say. yeah i'm talking about magic warriors uh, so uh, yeah. it's, it starts her but i'm not sure it is a peach boy movie but yeah. uh, regardless these two and a half movies maybe are based on the popular hero out of japanese folklore called momotaro literally meaning peach and taro itself is a common enough japanese boy's name so he is often referred to as peach boy a multimedia character really via um, another multimedia but a multimedia boy in this case (laughs) appearing in books and films and according to the story at least in its present form that um, and it dates back to the Edo period in Japanese history which is between 1603 and 1868 Uh, the story goes as follows Uh, Momotaro arrives to earth in a giant peach and is discovered by an old woman washing her clothes in the river and actually they discover the peach and not the boy until they try to eat the peach and ta-da there comes the boy along the way and over time via different uh, regions uh, you, you've had variations of this story that's why i say in present form and uh, but uh, that is the basics of it how sort of peach boy is uh, is born uh, but furthermore he explains to the woman and her husband that he has been sent by heaven to be their son and uh, it is the couple that name him Mom- momotaro and he spends years with the family um, some variations of the story has him being brought up as a fine boy one variation, a lazy boy. So there's different morals of the story kind of being woven in there. But eventually he leaves to fight the demons on a distant island. Uh, some versions of the story include an additional island where he, island where he both volunteers to help uh, as well as being forced to help. So there's the fine boy and lazy boy, I suppose, uh, story Fred there. Along the way he meets and befriends uh, a talking dog, a monkey and a pheasant. Uh, in the movie it's a... Uh, it's a cock. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I don't know anything about these it's things. If, if tiny, I, co- well, that could be just the the ex- eccentricities of the person who did the subtitle. But they call them tiny cock, tiny dog, and tiny monkey. Yeah, indeed, so. indeed. 
it's just my like when I wrote it in the intro, it's obviously me just being immature. It, it's a cock. There's a cock in the well, movie. Yeah, well, let's let's get it out. Let's let's get it all exactly, out. Exactly. Like uh-huh. yeah, put it on front street, and they agree to aid him in his quest as he meets them along the way. They enter the demon's fort at uh, said island or one of the islands. Uh, defeats uh, him and them, uh, the army. Plunder the treasure. Uh, they capture the demon's chief, and in the end, uh, this uh, treasure supports Momotaro and his family, which is, in summary form, sounds rather selfish. Like we got the money, <laughs> like let's uh, just live a good life now. Uh, some real life locations are believed to be associated with the creation of Peach Boys, such as Okayama and Megajima Island, uh, due to the plentiful man-made caves found on the island. I would add one thing that in this movie, at least. The villain, whose name is King Devil, is the person who murdered Peach Boy's real mother and father back in the back in the garden that you discussed at the beginning. So it also has a revenge, a revenge element to it, and it's and he resides on Devil Island, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to put it on Front Street there for stupid people like me. Like, where does King Devil? Live. King Island, not metal enough, like Devil Island. <laughs> yeah, and speaking of metal, we have to talk about the the, uh, the uh, dress and hair of the villains at some point, too. It, it, it makes it almost impossible to ID actors, because they're quite, in, in, in the case of him, he's quite hidden underneath that wonderful... Uh, it, looks, uh, it looks 80s, all right, in a way. It's like he has a glam rock villain here, but uh, obviously it's uh, more, more fantasy. He looks like Vince Neil. <laughs> I'll soon uh, leave uh, leave it to you, Todd, here, but uh, to to move it over to multimedia and uh, and uh, why we know of this story at all. Uh, the story has been translated into English many times, uh, going as far back as 1885, as Reverend David Thompson translated and put it into the first volume of something called Japanese fairy tale series. And uh, I'll I'll leave it to Todd now to talk a little bit more about uh, the various media and history of uh, Peach Boy or Momotaro in in culture. So take it away, buddy. Okay, well, reportedly, Momotaro had a burst in popularity in Japan during World War II, where he essentially became an organ for propaganda. So, so he's essentially their Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck. Didn't they use like Disney characters as propaganda? Yes, they did. So he was actually featured in what is the first feature-length anime made in Japan, a movie called Momotaro's Divine Sea Warriors, which was made in 1945. Wow. And that was made for the Naval Ministry. I actually watched that movie yesterday. It's it's available on YouTube in its entirety. It doesn't have subtitles, but there's very little dialogue in it. Um, it's really interesting. It's um, I assume it's black and white, right? It's black and white. The animation is primitive, but still very good for the time. It's set in a forest. The characters are almost all uh, anthropomorphized animals with human faces so there's like little bunny people and little monkey people and little bear people i think there's kitties too and the first half of the movie is really 
pastoral. It's it's very lovely. There's lovely music, and it's just the animals kind of frolicking and having little adventures in the forest. And then war. And, and then all of a sudden, they're clearing the forest and building airplane hangars. <laughs> and uh, then they're going through uh, induction into the army. And then before you know, all the little bunnies and all the little bears are uh, in uniform. They're getting on. They're getting on a bomber, and they are parachuting into enemy territory where they, uh, where they savagely bayonet uh, a bunch of white are <laughs> soldiers. Are you kidding me? Are they, I know propaganda is not supposed to be subtle, but. Wow, that is just like, what does it all mean? Well, right, yeah, right, yeah. Oh, and and Momotaro in this is not really represented in his sort of folkloric form. He's actually the gen the general who commands all the all the bunnies and and the bears. But yeah, there's a scene you don't see the soldiers, but you see it's like from the from the Allied soldiers' point of view, they're in a tank and. The Jap the tr- Japanese troops pull open the hatch, and there you see them like just stabbing, and you hear this blood curdling screams. Wow! Following that, there's a scene where Momotaro and his lieutenants are negotiating surrender with the British officers, and the British officers are are all depicted as incredibly cowardly and fumbling and and tremulous and they all have uh horns one one horn sticking out of their top of their head so they're basically like demons and and the thing that's sort of disturbing about it is like watching it you realize this is war propaganda for children this is something that is you know trying to acclimate children school children to the idea of military service Hey, hey, let, let me ask you this. Is it uncomfortably dark or is it sort of goofy at the same time? If you go into it like I did, knowing it's propaganda, you've sort of got that wall up already. Yeah. It didn't make me uncomfortable. I guess in a way, you know, there's so much of the U.S. propaganda was as bad or worse than that. And the way we we depicted the Japanese was so awful and so much of our propaganda that it seems kind of like, well, turnabout is fair play. So, yeah, I mean, it didn't, I wouldn't say it disturbed me. I mean, it disturbed me a little that it was aimed at children so clearly. But what a wonderful time capsule in a way to like, that it exists in some shape or form. I mean, I love that kind of stuff, whether it's like the most known propaganda film or the least known propaganda film out there. Like, uh, we we obviously have Triumph of the Will and stuff like that. It's obviously, you know, historically important, even though it's not um, something I personally agree with and all of that. Right. Well, yeah, it's it's sort of a shame since this being, it's a very important film in the history of Japanese animation. It's just unfortunate that it has, you know this political bent to it but still it's it's a fascinating to watch for that reason it adds context to to this podcast you know definitely it's a, it's a part of the whole history of peach boy even the slightly you know dark and politically politically incorrect uh, in a way uh, history but uh, yeah. we we know what why it even we know why it was conjured up but it's interesting that they that was the icon they wanted to use. This is the icon that yeah. we... Uh, it's not just a standard cartoon they sort of conjured up. Uh, you know, Momotaro clearly had some cultural 
pull, and therefore could be pulled into this. Well, I guessing I'm guessing he was maybe popular with school children, or that he was taught. You know, his stories were probably taught in school to kids from a very young age because they are very child-friendly tales depending on what kind of nuances you want to put on it. So I have some other notes here about other appearances by Momotaro in mostly Japanese culture. And there was an anime series, I guess various anime series as late as 2007. It was also the subject of a retelling in Hello Kitty's animation theater, something I don't know anything about. Neither do I. Okay. <laughs> like, I am childish. I can approach anything. I've never seen any Hello Kitty in motion. I've never really ever encountered that. I only know that Hello Kitty is a thing that exists. Yes, I, I stayed in, when I was in Japan, I stayed in a hotel that had two Hello Kitty themed rooms that you could stay in for extra money. You had to pay extra for that. It was not a punishment for skipping out <laughs> on yourself. And then there's something about Super Mario Brothers. Maybe you could help me with this, Ken. Yeah, it's uh, it, apparently they, they featured Peach Boy in the 1989 original video animation uh, you know, for VHS, therefore put, put onto the video market in Japan. The Amada anime series Super Mario Brothers, it's apparently called, which used characters from the Mario video game universe to tell the fairy tale. So they've, they've experimented in that regard by exchanging... Uh, like the story is so strong that uh, it allows for that kind of experimentation and it is still sure. will be recognizable. The If you remember the animated series Samurai Jack, which I think showed on MTV here in the States, the uh, 52nd episode titled Jack and the Baby featured the retelling of, of Momotaro's story. And there was even uh, a Marvel comic uh, reimagination in God, all this stuff I don't know about. There was an X-Men fairy tales series where they covered Momotaro and with the character of Cyclops being Momotaro. Yeah, and then renamed Hitome for 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 uh, for, for that uh, particular one. So so yeah, it, it's not my world either. I mean, I I don't judge it. It's simply not my world. I mean, I, I read more comic stri- um, strips, I suppose, and the occasional. Like, like I was more of a, you know, yeah, I like I like the likes of Beetle Bailey and stuff like that, you know. Uh, so I, I was never into superheroes and stuff like that, and uh, stuff like that. And Garfield is, uh, you know, free panel strips is uh, good for stupid people like me. Like it's it's over <laughs> it's over in a second. Like the Sunday strips were a nightmare. Obviously, it's one page right, of no, stuff. It's like, yeah, am I going to be tested on this? <laughs> um, I actually did read comics when I was a kid. I was kind of a big comics collector, but I think by the time they got into things like X Men fairy tales. I had bailed out long before that. But uh, I, I doubt in the X-Men retelling there's as much of people peeing and farting on each other as there is in this movie. Well, Just don't, don't knock it until you've actually seen it. Like, there was that stuff in it. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you're probably right. You're probably spot on. Yeah. Right. Uh, should we uh, talk a little bit about uh, the actors then? Uh, the little there is of the actors, uh, Lin Xiaolu or Lam Xiulao in Cantonese. Uh, it's the one I remember more, the Lam Xiulao, but uh, she's, uh, she's uh, Taiwanese. Uh, there's not a whole lot of uh, stuff about her. Uh, she, this is the movie she's more recognized for, but uh, I'm happy to say that she's a fan favorite with uh, those who sought out or stumbled upon, onton, onto her Taiwanese filmography, yeah. which is not extensive, but I have a feeling you, without knowing it, have encountered her in at least four or five movies and written about her even. 
Oh, I've I've written about her a great deal on 40K. Another film that we haven't mentioned of hers is a is Kung Fu Wonder Child, which is sort of a you know, a milestone of kung fu weirdness. Like when I was first getting into writing about these films, um I remember being involved in some chat, you know, chat room discussion about crazy Taiwanese and Hong Kong movies and everybody brought up uh, Kung Fu Wonder Child. It was one of the movies that everybody had seen, you know, along with the Shaolin, whatever, the, the Shaolin drunkard. It's, you know, the drunkard movies, which have like the watermelon monster and all that stuff. Yeah. In it. And, and that, that, that's kind of odd because you, you'd think like that, the Shaolin drunkard, Taoism drunkard, that would totally be Taiwanese. But no, that was the Yunvo Ping and his brother smoking up and then doing, doing a couple of movies. I, they couldn't have been sober doing those movies. And God <laughs> bless them for it because those oh, are God, fucked yeah. up. Those are fantastic <laughs> They movies. are fantastic. Yeah. I think these movies, the, the, the Peach Kid movies, are in a lot of ways indicative of what was going on in, in Hong Kong and... Uh, and Taiwanese cinema at the time in the wake of Zoo Warriors uh, of Magic Mountain because there are these special effects extravaganzas, you know, nonstop, very fast-paced with just special effects coming at you from, you know, every which way, you know. So I think that's part of what's going on with this What, what a wonderful ripple that Sue creator i i love sue yes. but i love the fact that many more filmmakers were able to do it well themselves gather a team yeah. that didn't work on star wars which sue had sue had the uh, star wars crew on it and stuff like that so i'm glad that there were competence bred and uh, present that could execute even shortly after sue or a few years after sue in this case yeah i love sue it's one of my favorite movies but i think i like some of the cheaper movies that were inspired yeah. by it thrilling sword is not far behind my friend yeah and holy flame of the martial world and uh things things like that i love those movies so much and I love this movie, too. Absolutely. We, that, that's something I can drop already at this point as well. Uh, but back to Lin Chao Liu. Um, I had uh, some help to dig up the little info that there is by a friend of the show, Sylvia Roram, who's uh, studying and is quite uh, well-versed, uh, well-versed in uh, Cantonese and Chinese. So uh, uh, she dug up uh, some info on her. Uh, born in 1967 and then graduated from a school of performing arts. Um, made her film debut at a very young age in The Orientation, 1980, which actually gave Young Lin a Taiwan Golden Horse Award to put on her shelf uh best child star so it's quite a breakout performance uh, but but it does seem that her role in the child of peach is really the one that stands out amongst moviegoers as she is referred to in articles you know fairly recent ones as number one peach girl and uh, now that she's a little bit older essentially she has been referred to as a great aunt peach so it might not have been a the success of the decade that people still talk about in the West and and is more known than Sue, but certainly she that movie made a ripple or two, or she made a ripple or two in that mm-hmm. uh, role, uh, uh, which is which is very cool. That I always say that if you have one good thing on your resume, it might not make you rich, 
But if you have something that creates ripples decades after it's made, then you're, you're done quite a good thing for culture I mean, you've uh, done well yeah yeah i don't know why to- toby hooper always pops up in my head i'm not trying to be like toby hooper never made a good movie after texas chainsaw massacre <laughs> but it's one of those things like if he'd only made texas chainsaw massacre my god like what a legacy but uh, obviously T- toby hooper kept working and it's still well, working. You, you don't like life force ken not seen life force <laughs> i'm sure <laughs> it's okay cr- i'm sure it's okay it's so. crazy it's pretty crazy it's not. It's no Texas Chainsaw, but it's it's an interesting and pretty nutty film, and it's out there too. So I, I can pick it up whenever yeah. I like. Absolutely. Which is the problem with Taiwan Taiwan cinema? You can't pick it up whenever you like. <laughs> it's you have to search it out and in, in, on the dirty rocks on the internet and stuff like that. So. <laughs> Uh, maggot-filled rocks. Uh, that there's the movie. centipede-covered, yes, rocks of of the internet. Yeah. But uh, furthermore, on Lin Xiao Liu, uh, she's mostly focused on uh, TV acting. Um, her last film credit is actually in 2004, and uh, she's a continual presence in soap operas in Taiwan. Uh, she actually took a brave uh, personal step in 2005 as she publicly announced that she had been raped eight years uh, prior. And uh, she did this in support of fellow actress Bai Bingbing, whose daughter was kidnapped and raped. So good on her for um, going public and uh, showing support. It's a dark uh, tale, but uh, she's, uh, ho- hopefully she's well and all of that. I think you've seen a movie or two from our director, Chen Chun Liang. Uh, because it's a director that deserves a lot of mention. Because I don't think, even if you've just seen two movies, right? Or even one. I, I don't think you're going to be disappointed by at least any special effects movie by Chen Chun, Chen Chun Liang because Child of Peach is just one out of, in my opinion, a, a great little, uh, you know, special effect, at least in terms of special effects, a great filmography. So, so I guess that's my question. If you scan it, did, have you seen anything other than the Child of Peach? I mean, did you ever encounter... Well, you mentioned 3D, uh, 3D Army. I've seen that. That's like a... Is that a Hello Dracula movie? It's uh well it's it's a hopping vampire movie but it's uh, I don't remember it being uh, as uh, Hello Hello Dracula is essentially Taiwan's Mr Vampire series good fun uh, I don't remember it being super children's friendly but I don't it wasn't adult or anything There's a little there's a little baby vampire hopping around in it and there and there's also lots of people peeing on each other <laughs> There's the theme Ta- Welcome to Taiwan That might be a light motif of his I don't know but uh is there any way we can squeeze in a scene where they're peeing on each other? Listen to this. What if they were peeing on each other while they were having this conversation? I know this is a serious political drama, but have you seen people fighting in Taiwan Taiwanese like uh, polit- politics? Let's have them pee on each other. Yes, let's have Chiang Kai-shek peeing off the balcony as <laughs> Look at me, I'm peeing everybody. Well, that's that's because <laughs> I'm the man. Throw some other titles of his by me. New Seven Dragon Ball, my friend. Like, the Taiwanese Dragon Ball movie. I don't know if you're a fan of Dragon Ball. Know of Dragon Ball, but I gotta tell you. I know of it. I am not necessarily a fan. I'm not a detractor of Dragon Ball. I'm just not that. Only seen the live-action one. And gotta tell you, it's fun. It's so much fun. Like, it's, it's, it's Taiwan taking... Something that doesn't have is isn't loaded with a lot of means in terms of budget, and just kind of executing a live version of the manga and anime. It huh. looks that to me anyway. It's very creative. It has some lulls because it resorts to a lot of 
uh, comedy and uh, when they meet meet the guy with the turtle shell and he's a pervert and all of that so they they they, <laughs> they, they, they kind of just fall into that trap for 20 30 minutes but it's a short movie and uh, it's got a fantastic beginning and a so so middle and a fantastic ending and i think uh, many people prefer that over the actual big budget dragon ball movie that uh, came and went uh, over in america so um i'll check it out i i do recommend it and that, that one is fairly available um all over the world uh, either english dubbed or in mandarin but uh, it's very Taiwanese. I think you you you'll get a kick out of it. Uh, and uh, but the one I saw recently from uh, from Chen Chung Liang, and we only know that this director was born in 1942, essentially. But uh, one I saw recently was New Pilgrims to the West. Special effects wise, ties in nicely to the Child of Peach. It, it's a Monkey King movie or Journey to the West uh, adaptation. It's sort of a, a few episodes out of Journey to the West because uh, you can't depict the entirety of that thing. In one movie, right. obviously. It's fairly energetic. Uh, it's sharper when dealing in weapons-based action choreography. There's actually some kung fu here in combination with the wire work. But some of the animated special effects uh, are performed in, like, single takes. You know, it's tra- transformation from something animated to real or from real to animated. Right. And those are remarkably well pulled off, actually. Mm. Uh, it's a, it's about lining up stuff, obviously, you know, uh, you know as they transform uh, and uh, it's easy to stick with with it because it's it's like a few episodes rather than a full narrative and uh, there is some children friendly buffoonery here that isn't uh, didn't play super well with me as an adult but uh, good energy and some technical creativity and uh, I was uh, I was well pleased and um, he did apparently a movie called Monkey War which has the same cast and crew on it but that apparently is not available the the versions you can dig up currently are not subtitled. I have that somewhere. I have to dig it up because I have not watched it yet. I think Tars Tarkas gave it to me, so I have to find Monkey War. I keep hearing about it. It keeps coming up. I'm looking at his uh, filmography now. I see his first film was Kung Fu Girls with our beloved Elsa Jung. Um, yeah, I think the only thing I've seen, yeah, 3D Army. Which is, um, I I don't know for sure, but it there's telltale signs of it actually being a 3D movie originally. They do some coming at you shots, uh, but it's not reliant on that it is 3D. It's a, it's a gimmick, but uh, it's one of those like a Taiwanese 3D movie. Well, that, you don't hear that every day. <laughs> so, uh, right, yeah. I, I, I watched it, obviously, in 2D and it never occurred. I thought it was just a weird translation of the title. You know, it never occurred to me that it might actually be a 3D movie, but I was not watching it with that in mind. We also made a movie called Alibaba. Oh, there's a poster for it on the HKMDB. It looks amazing. I mean, it's the poster, of course, but it's it looks like it's it's like an Arabian Nights tale. There's people on flying carpets, and there's a big genie. Oh, that looks good. Co-directed by the director of uh, the Country of Beauties, uh, Ulysses. Oh Arrow. wow! Oh, there you go. All right, that is a future episode of Taiwan. It's Park. easy to fall down the rabbit hole of even uh, sort of infrequent director because. Again, you know, let, let me ask you something. We, we're nearly at the review here. You just said that uh, you're sold at the poster. Are you sold by any movie nowadays when you see its poster? I, I mean, if, because back then they just managed to put together some great, lively art. And today it just seems like, well, there's a poster. 
you know, I've been hurt so many times that, you know, my heart's been broken so many times. This Godfrey Ho movie looks amazing. It has tanks and helicopters and then you want right. Richard Harrison. Right. What's what's this? Right. Yeah, exactly. Or like the, the posters for some of those Nigerian movies where it's like explosions and guys with Uzis and... And, you know, a, a Terminator guy, and then you watch the movie, and it's like 90 minutes of people arguing in their <laughs> living rooms. Um, but, yeah, e- even with trailers, um, I'm rarely like, oh, I got to see that. Usually if it's, if it's you know, the only thing on a poster or a trailer that'll get me is if it's someone that I like. You know, if it's someone whose movies I kind of automatically go to. You know, if it's like, you know, I really like the the Coen brothers, you know, the, so when I saw the, the trailer for their new movie, I was like, oh, I'm seeing that because it's the Coen brothers and it's got all the Coen brothers people in it. Yeah, I don't think poster design is very exciting. You know, you know, especially when you had the uh, lazy design choice that came off the screen where everybody was lined up in like, in like a triangle on the poster and stuff like that. Yeah. All the young, impossibly pretty looking people yeah. in, in a horror movie akin to Scream. Like, that was so boring. Like, it went on for a couple of years. Though. I do miss the, the um, practice uh, that originated with the disaster movies of the 70s because they would have an all, all-star cast. You put little pictures of each member of the cast in little boxes lining the bottom. I love that. I wish they would still do that. I would go see the movie because of that, but I would like to see it on a poster. I saw a little box of Steve McQueen. I'm so I'm like I'm so in. Like I right, uh, yeah, amongst all the forty people that was in Towering Inferno or whatever. Like I found OJ Simpson. <laughs> he was in that. And he wasn't bad actually. Let's uh, move into the review and uh, I'll share my quick opinion. First of all, uh, this was hugely likable. Really, if you don't see this also as a technical achievement and achievement in entertainment, well, I won't judge you, but you really should see it as that. I mean, it's so much fun. It's a production that really does have the chops to convey the backstory fantasy that we talked of and in a visually interesting way even action-wise, and uh, it's just damn entertaining and mad, and it's not solely for kids, as we've hinted at, because there, there, there's some uh, graphic violence here, that, but uh, you wonder, if you were to ask someone in Taiwan at this time, they, they maybe would say this is to be expected out of a kid's movie, we don't mind. We're not fearful of what we present to our children, or maybe they were reckless in terms of what they were presenting to their children. I don't know. I don't think in Chinese cinema or in Chinese culture there's as much sentimentality about childhood as there is in the West, and I think they're a little bit more permissive. I mean, I think think of all the harm you see. There's such there's such a taboo against even showing kids getting hurt or killed in movies. And think about all the Asian, you know, the Chinese movies where they show kids being killed or put in, like, extreme danger. So I just, I don't think there's so much sentimentality about it. So I would guess this is probably would pass as a children's movie. And, and in short, um, however short it may be or however long it may be, what do you want to say, first of all, of the child or peach, other than the fact that you approve as well? Well, I would totally recommend this movie. It's been a favorite of mine for a long time. In fact, one of the first movies I reviewed on 40K was a a Peach Kid movie. It was Magic of Spell. Released later as, uh, well, the print title is Magic of Stell. (laughs) Magic of Stell. Okay, I thought that was your typo. 
That was not my. I, I'm that immature guy that like uh, if a movie <laughs> there's a movie in Hong Kong called Escape from King Kingdom EX. So I reviewed it as that just because I'm special that way. I have standards, damn it. Yes, you have to respect the text. Um, <laughs> I actually, maybe this isn't the time to do it, but I actually reviewed Child of Peach back in November of 2009. And reading back over my review, the, I, I obviously liked the movie and it inspired me to heights of verbosity, poetry, let's say. Uh, would it be okay if I read a couple paragraphs of uh, my review of it? Sure thing, sure thing, go ahead. Okay, all right. I don't want to go overboard in stating how weird Child of Peach is. First of all, because so many of its absurdities are clearly played for laughs. Secondly, it's a children's adventure film made during the 80s, a time when a lot of children's adventure films were pretty damn weird regardless of their culture of origin. As such, I think it would sit fairly comfortably alongside movies like Labyrinth or The NeverEnding Story as part of a kitty matinee of its era. Except, of course, for all of its violence and its strangely translated swearing, such as, Your Kung Fu is nothing but a shit. <laughs> that makes sense to me, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and also, all of the face pissing. Indeed, the urine in Child of Peach flows like the great Yangtze into the faces and mouths of all and sundry and out of some places we would never have previously expected urine to issue from. This is a film in which the sight of a monkey pissing into an unwitting soldier's drinking cup represents the height of comedy. When an old lady's ass gets set ablaze, a giant sentient peach uses its powerful stream to douse the flames and then gives her a blast in the face as a coup de grace. That was so filthy. (laughs) (laughs) And in case you were trying to reassure yourself that that spray was just meant to be peach juice, the old lady then smells her fingers, makes a sour face, and gives us angry verbal confirmation of the much less desirable alternative. That is me back in 2009. I mean, it, it it represents Todd Stapman, I think, in 2015 as well. Like you, you, you're not above you're not above this stuff. Like uh, you're not here to tell. Like, well, the urine, I'm now gonna condemn. No, I love that. It was it was hilarious. Yeah. You mentioned the never-ending story, by the way. I the, I thought as soon as we heard that theme song in the movie before the Mandarin lyrics came in, like, oh my god, had they ripped off the never had they stolen the actual never ending yeah. story theme song? It sounds very similar to it. A very pleasant song, nonetheless, but uh, yeah. it um who knows, they might have like uh, I think it fits in the timeline. I think that movie was a few years before. Um so they might have like looked at that fit that movie, let's sort of compose the same thing. Yeah, there, well, the the score is definitely synth pop heavy. Most of it's sung by what sounds like a child, but it, yeah, it's it fits it. It's very. I mean, it, this is a film that is so eighties. I mean, the hairstyles, the clothes, the music. You know, so it has all the cray cray of like this crazy seventies Taiwanese fantasy movies, but through a very eighties lens. You know, I loved all the the glam metal hairstyles that people had and you know all how all the, all the uh that witch character all her minions had these like sort of vin- white Vince Neil wigs on and I loved all that stuff on top of all the fantasy elements which are really and fun. And, and I think also speaking of the music that 
it's good that they didn't concern themselves with composing something that just fits, um, you know, because it isn't modern, right? So, but I'm glad they didn't go with a traditional Chinese score or anything. Like this is a movie that's so entertaining and meant for all audiences. Why not have something? current music wise something yes. hip and uh, stuff like that so I, I i think it fits like a glove for uh for this fantasy you know i agree um there's only yeah uh because this is my job there's only one instance of needle drop music that i could identify and that was in the scene what was did the witch character have a name i know they called her grandma sometimes mm, not extensively used so there and I, I i actually don't remember I'll call her the witch. There's a scene where the witch disguises herself as the princess who everybody, the reason everybody is uh, descending on Devil Island to defeat the king devil is because he's kidnapped this princess. The princess's father has promised her hand in marriage to whoever can free her from captivity so there's and so uh and one of these is night melon the the fat oaf guy who is also one of the heroes of the movie anyway there's a scene where the the witch woman disguises herself as the princess and tries to seduce king melon and she does a striptease and there's this kind of there's this kind of honky-tonk music that plays over that and that is from the man with the golden gun. There's a scene in that. It's like a honky tonk version of instrumental version of the theme. But that was the. I think all the other stuff was original to it, or as far as I know, or maybe they were current hits or something. Yeah, yeah. So Morricone didn't get ripped off. Only John Barry this time, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's got to be one or the other. But you know, even even starts in like this way where you know this is going to be a cartoon. Even part of the title screen is uh, done in an animated fashion, so you you yeah. sort of they do set up this uh, tone from the get go. It doesn't start dark and then reveals its sort of light touches. And uh, I, I also enjoy that. You know, as I said, this has technical achievements galore, and you know the the Peach Garden may look very endorsey. But I think it's a tremendous set that they showcase yes. with the with the water, flowing water, and uh, it's uh, it fits the fantasy like these extensive fantasy movies. Really, in my mind, should have an indoorsy feel. It just sort of fits that. You remember various Shaw Brothers movies, uh, right? It's a it's a storybook reality. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I agree absolutely, and I think that this film. You know, it's maybe not the most expensive, but it's it's got pretty good production values. There's also some really good stunt and pyrotechnic work in it that's very impressive and very dangerous. Looking. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, the, the peril here is uh, is very real. Uh, these uh, reckless Taiwanese stuntmen and uh, possibly women uh, getting set on fire is uh, from, you can see it in action movies and in, in children's movies in this case as well. Right. A lot of people running around on fire. And one woman getting her butt set on fire. So yeah. <laughs> but, but you know what? It's it's so impressive to me uh, right from the get-go. There's, uh, you, you see the the introduction of, uh, you know, the tiny dog and tiny monkey and tiny cock mm-hmm. and all of that and their, uh, and their transformations from animal to humans. If you look at a shot like that as they run across the screen and transform that way, mm-hmm. they line up them and therefore the special effects are sort of lined up 
perfectly. I mean, it is perfectly. Yes. That transition, which includes animation, is seamless. Like, you don't see the jump, and they, you see that they have not lined it up well. It's just super smooth, and it's ages before ta- Taiwan even attempted CG, I think. Uh, um, yeah, before yeah. Hong Kong did. So, I, you know, from the get-go, it is super impressive the way they, they execute it, and... Uh, so some of that is evident in New Pilgrims to the West as well. So I have a feeling that the director was really set on making this, um, you know, something to be proud of. Yeah, yeah, and I think he succeeded. Yeah, there's none of those dodgy, you know, process shots where everything's kind of half see through. You know, that you'd see in older films. Really good quality practical effects. I think people who enjoy practical fantasy effects would really get a lot out of this movie. And, you know, try and spot the wires if you can. I mean, they're, they're, that's something they've been good at for so many years, to hide the wires. Yeah. My favorite thing, actually, my favorite special effects moment, of course, is the giant sort of peach transformer that plays a part in the action yeah. at the end. It's like a big puppet made out of peaches. <laughs> and it keeps going, meh, meh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that was amazing. You know, just the movie keeps topping itself, and so yeah, it really does. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's uh, throughout quite impressive. I mean, uh, that is memorable, and and I love little touches like um, the master of the garden or the, or the father of uh, Momotaro. Mm-hmm. See, you know, he plays with his swords, but he obviously is like sort of remote controlling the swords as they fly about, and you see little trails of uh, fire or flames. Um, in like they they create little uh, trails rather mm-hmm. uh, as uh, the the wire crew does their thing and I think that that's super impressive. I I'm into movies with those kinds of effects. Those are not dated effects to me. That's immersive effects to me. And really, the only way I want to see effects works effects work done for this type of cinema. But it's obviously very era specific. Yeah. You couldn't do it in a 2005 movie. Yeah, because I think it would clash. I wish someone would, but I know you're right. Yeah. I know you're right. No one would try that. And this is rare for me. I actually enjoyed some of the comedy aspects of the movie, which I didn't expect to. I mean, this was my second or third time watching it. But things like the his parents are totally played for laughs. They're always at each other's throats. And there's one scene where he wants to go um, join the melon knight or knight melon in his siege upon the devil island and the parents are arguing the mother is saying go you know make us proud and the father is forbidding him from going so the parents decide to have a fight to determine whether he can go or not so whichever of them wins so they have this completely ridiculous fight where they're like pulling on each other's faces and stuff like that. And it, and they're old, you know, or they're at least younger actors who are playing seniors. So there's this fight between an old man and an old lady where they're like rolling around pulling on each other's faces. I thought that was hilarious. You know, then again, maybe that's the frame of mind the movie just put me in because it's Oh, oh! I've seen worse. I've seen worse, unbearable, intolerable comedy, and they really oh do uh, manage so to like. This is not low-level buffoonery for children. That is even that that even children would dislike. They really have a nice little comedic back and forth, and uh, the the visual gags are so much fun. Like the the, the sort of context of the scene where the the wife's uh, butt is set on fire is that she's uh, sort of dragged dragged in the um, yeah. in, in the bucket that she's uh, the, the washing bucket she's dragged along 
the road, the trail in the woods. And right. that like sets off sparks and crap like that. And that sets like her butt on fire. And yeah. I, think, I think that that's such a fun visual because it's obviously sort of sort of cranked comedy as well. So you can you see her like pass from left to right, to right to left. And it's, yes. uh, you don't expect that necessarily to being dragged along the ground and then the butt being set on fire and obviously as you described how how it's put out that fire is just yeah. like i've not seen that before a good like well done movie like i did not expect those beats yeah the the peach is very naughty that's established early i think she even says you're a very naughty peach because <laughs> the, the peach leads her on a chase it's kind of like it's almost like a Warner Brothers cartoon or something. It's very well done, very well done comedy, which I never thought I would hear myself saying about any of these movies, but it worked for me. I think the only negative I have is, uh, but it's ne- not really a negative. Like when I look for negative in a movie I love, then that's not really negative. But it it takes a while for for us to even see the uh, Peach Boy form that Lin- uh, that Lynn. Place like mm-hmm. they they prolong the Peach Boy birth quite a while. We see him in a yeah. in a different forms first, like the little fairy that follows uh, Peach Boy around. She uh, trans. She, I, I, what is it? That is is Peach Boy born really obese first, or is that the fairy transforming him into a way to obese form, and then she kind of adjusts him along the way? Well, he was born sort of big and fat or something like that, and then like the fairy transformed him into. Yeah, yeah, it was like a minute that they have had him in that form, and then right, and, and, and then, then the little the little fairy decides he's uh, not big enough to to join the fight against the king devil, so she makes him grow to be about eight, and then she, I think she again makes him grow to be about. I mean, Lam Shu Lao was like twenty when this movie was made, but I think. Peach Kid is supposed to be like a 12-year-old boy, I'm guessing. Yeah, that is not an illusion that they pull off. But you know what, Todd? I don't think that was ever an illusion that Hong Kong or Taiwanese filmmakers were very concerned. or They weren't very concerned with pulling that off. I mean, look at Come Drink With Me. Like right. Cheng Pei Pei's character. Ooh, who is that boy? Who is that man? And then, oh my god, the hair is down. Now it's totally a woman. I think they were just having fun with that um, sort of staple. It's the same with all the Polly Shank Kwan movies, where she's like a boy, but she's wearing a mini skirt <laughs> and makeup as well. So the fairy was played by an actress named Shadow Liu Chiyu, who apparently was a pretty popular. Oh, and she was in uh, two Hello Dracula movies. No, she was in Hello Dracula one, two, and three. Right on. Then I've seen her because I've seen the second one. Yeah, I know I've seen one of those. There's one that got retitled as like Maze of Death or something, or Labyrinth of Death, I think. <laughs> it's like Wu-Tang presents Labyrinth of yeah, Death. Yeah, it, like. it was. It was one of those Wu-Tang things, and it, but, it was a, but it was you're dead on. But it was, a hello, it was definitely a Hello Dracula movie that they'd retitled. And then they got, and th- then they got that instead. <laughs> yes. But, the, you know, as we said, this is a children's movie that doesn't really care if it presents some darker elements. Like, even before the witch is sort of transformed into the form that we see her in, and I think it's a male actor, actually, we it, it, we see, like, a segment where 
she almost has like zombie style worshippers who watches their yes. mother being born. It looks like she comes out of a, an egg or a grave. So it's a horror. It's a scary sequence. It has a horror tone to it. Well, it's in hell. I think it's supposed to be in hell. I mean, it really works. Like that. That is. That, that was sort of like. Ooh, there was the darkness, but they. It never like goes for gore or like Cronenberg style body horror or anything like that. Like it's not the brood this or anything like that. So. And I'm sure none of it would have scared me more as a child than like the flying monkeys and Wizard of Oz. I mean, you know, I think that's there's things in Disney movies that are really scary too. You know, so I think that's sort of an accepted element of children's entertainment that at some point you have to scare the shit out of them. Yeah, definitely. But but, yeah, but, but I think the balance is uh, quite sound here because it's. I, I yes. think it would have been easy for an adult at that time to enjoy this movie as well. It isn't painfully children's-friendly uh, and a lot of, like, you know... <sighs> It has body, you know, body fluid humor, of course, but it, it, the feel is not of, uh, my God, 90 minutes of children's buffoonery. It isn't like that. And it could have been. My God, could it have been? Right. And it's in no way sleazy, you know, which is sometimes that's a little unsettling. Like, you know, for instance, one of my favorite topics, the um, the Thai director, Sampot Sangduajai, who did Mars, the original Marsman movie, mm-hmm. you know, he makes these sort of kiddie type movies but then he puts all this violence and like sleazy sort of purient skinny dipping scenes and stuff like that and really kind of gross scatological stuff and it just feels sleazy you know it just feels like i wouldn't want any kid anywhere near that but this i don't i don't have that feeling you know i think the Momotaro is a is a pretty great character. I think that um, you know the actress playing him is is really charming. And I also like that. I did want to say this. There's no super irritating. Com- there are a lot of the characters are played for comedy, but none of them are irritating. Like even Knight uh, Melon when he shows up, it's like oh here's the fat oaf that we're going to be meant to laugh at through the whole Look, movie. He fell over. Boom. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But he ends up, you know, having some moments of heroism, and he has a couple fights where he actually acquits himself very well. He has a fight with this big ogre guy, and they're sort of matched in size, and that's it's a really good fight. So it's I I respect that they they didn't have to have the oaf just be the oaf. They could he could be actually be a character with some, you know more nuanced qualities so i i i take my hat off to the movie very, very much so it uh, shows some thinking rather than taking the easy way out by just right. sc- scripting some buffoonery to go back to a point that they seem to spend a lot on the shenanigans before the birth and before the peach boy form that we uh, know and recognize and it's only a 96 minute movie so i thought to myself is this a part one out of two because it seems like they're sort of running out of movie but they actually don't like like as soon as she's sort of born we get the whole plot in motion about her trying to join the army and the sort of uh, the army training and then there are you know there, there is a climactic fight and all of that so the movie doesn't um you know, uh, run uh, like it doesn't wrap up too quickly or anything, despite spending a lot of time on this birth and stuff. I mean, uh, and they even do have time with uh, some training sequences there for before the whole fight, and they train 
with a bull um, to sort of set them up with yes. the fights against the devil's troops, which is not this um, Todd. Uh, this is not this uh, puppet or anything. They let loose an animal amidst uh, colorful yes. stuntmen. <laughs> My God, <laughs> what are they thinking? Yeah, <laughs> it um, looks dangerous. People it died lo- in the making of this. It looked like an actual bull. I mean, uh, that would react to the color red. It's in that sequence because at, fir- at first they reject. Peach Kid, because he's just a kid, so they don't, don't want him along. But then Peach Kid reunites with his little animal warrior buddies. So they there's a, a, a nice scene where he encounters this dog, this monkey, and this chicken. And he's like, you know, get out of here. And then they turn into these excellent-looking kids. Like, the, Don't you think those three kids look like a band? Yeah, you know, totally, they totally. had sort of flock of seagulls hair and they're each wearing these kind of very colorful, very 80s looking tunics. All they needed is like a keytar, a uh, flying V and like, you know, someone playing syndromes. I wish someone had made that happen. It is quite a rousing image to see them together, I think, as uh, when they're all, yeah. all in human form as uh, they now join the fight and uh, along the way there's some quality choreography both uh, um, grounded choreography with both weapons and uh, stuff like that I mean it works as a I mean I don't think it's a movie for kung fu purists who just want to see fighting the fighting is legit you know it's pretty good it's not it's not all crazy wire work though there is that Um, but there's a lot of good you know bare handed fighting going on you know, the most crazier wire work that I remember is the crazy wire pulls along the ground, therefore, when someone is kicked out of a room and through a wall, okay. and they pull <laughs> yeah. the stuntman for a while. Like, it's, it's, a, it's, it's almost like that cartoony moment as well, when someone punches someone and they fly, fly across the earth, essentially. <laughs> right, and then they, then they go through a brick wall or something like that. There are things like that but they do that people like those are not puppets they pull those are performers and actors and stuntmen that they pull yeah. for a while they're, they're those crazy wire pulls and uh, i'm sure that yeah. will yank your being uh, to the core a little bit despite being uh, in a rig rig and stuff like that right yeah no amount of padding is going to protect you from the shock of having your body jerked backwards it you know suddenly jerk backwards it you know 50 miles an hour or whatever they're doing that with the the ending is a lot has a lot of color to it and a lot of unpredictability to it because at that point king devil you know is using the sword of the sun and its power to his advantage and keeps conjuring up a lot of unpredictable elements you know and uh, it's why i enjoyed the unpredictable nature of the opponents that are conjured up including as you said what I called in my notes the breakdancing peach puppet. <laughs> That's right, because it does a little victory dance at the end, which is a high point for sure. Which fits the eighties, man. Like, uh, let's let's do a little breakdancing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's like meh meh meh. <laughs> I did a little clip of it and posted on Instagram, and indeed, including that included that laugh of its victory dance and its creepy uh-huh. uh, creepy belly button as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> I mean, what is there to say about when it goes all crazy for the ending? Like, or is there nothing to say other than that that is so enjoyable? Like, and it's constant special effects too, because the sword of the sun is all 
or there's always an animated sort of effect on it because it's supposed to sort of be glowing. Yeah, there's nothing to say. The only thing to say is like see the movie because it's it's great. It's really fun. It's a really good looking movie. Yeah, I couldn't recommend this high enough. Which comes to uh, Ken, the matter of availability. How none, none, none. Oh dear. <laughs> Here's the problem. Here's a fairly obscure Taiwanese movie that, um, you know, we watched a good rip of uh, a Taiwan Taiwanese VHS or VCD version because it's in Mandarin, so I assume it's a uh, Taiwanese. Maybe it's a Taiseng version of a Taiwanese VHS. And, uh, I mean, it's not out on disc yeah, right now. Uh, it, it, if it had, at tops it had a Laserdisc or a VCD, but n- nothing is listed anymore. So if you can't find used copies of this, which uh, I, I kind of assume they're not listed often on uh, on ebay and things like that mm-hmm. it, whether in hong kong or taiwan there, there is the internet option of watching this via torrents or or youtube but i mean that that's what's left unfortunately the situation yeah. for hong kong and taiwanese cinema on dvd you know or blu-ray or um, even uh, still imprint vcds has never been great for long periods of time. I mean, some movies are out for a few years, then the rights are lost and the rights are not picked up right. by anyone, and boom, even DVDs go out of print. Uh, so uh, it's uh, it's something that we all need to help out with by keeping Taiwanese and Hong Kong cinema alive through the grey area means. I mean, I'm not saying I, I'm, I'm not saying to sell these for a profit. I'm saying share. You know, keep the keep the channel yeah. page alive in a way. And uh, someone has uploaded it to YouTube. We won't link to it. You'll have to find it for yourself. Uh, but uh, we really, I mean, that that's one of the few options. Like, I, I recommend if you if you're well, if you can find your way around torrent forums, the the version we watched is uh, quite a bit sharper than the uploaded YouTube version. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, it was a really good looking uh, version we got. Actually, I think uh, yes, it was widescreen and uh, subtitles were mm-hmm. very readable. Aside from the white on white issue that often pops up yeah. in these movies, uh, but otherwise, I think it's for for the version that it was quite excellent looking and conveyed the movie in a very respectable way it, it represented the movie well because yeah because it's a very colorful very well shot movie um i see on youtube that someone has uh, uploaded a clip of just the the puppet the peach puppet but i'm going to look at uh I'm going to go to Instagram and check out what you put up there, because that sounds good. Yeah, I, 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 my capture was, this was my night, how was yours? <laughs> <laughs> and someone commented to me, like, uh, you watch weird stuff. Like, Thank you. Right? <laughs> no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> yeah. You've you known me for a while now. This is mild, coming from me. <laughs> Um, yeah, I've, I'm I'm like iffy about the whole gray market thing too. I mean, but I think in cases when a movie just simply is not out there, and if anyone has the rights to it, they're just sitting on it. They're obviously not making use of it. I don't think people can be blamed for turning to gray market sources. You know, you know, there's definitely no currently available commercial version of this. So. You know, this might have made, been made by a company that's never not around anymore, and so some right. titles, maybe including this one, is in rights limbo by now, and that's an even worse situation. Right. And and, and it, to bring it out again, it takes someone to sort of recognize that this has market value, and she might be known as number one peach girl. That doesn't mean that general audience or general distribute distributors are even aware of this. Um, right. But, um, you, you hope the film archive in Taipei has something. 
that uh, is uh, sort of in good condition but um, you know it's not that, like you can pull up a catalog on the internet and like see what Taipei has in, in and in what state it is but um, if this is the only version we have forever and ever then I'm not displeased because I think it represents the movie very well uh, technic- uh, technically and like the quality is um, quite good. 4K it is not but I'm not expecting 4K for this one. Okay, next time I thought we might you know continue to pursue the Child of Peach series and look at what I know is the sequel Magic of Spell also released as Magic of Stell and uh, I think we're gonna do that movie and pair it up with uh, as we talked about what I think is sort of the second sequel or semi-sequel called Magic Warriors but even if it's she is in it but even if it's not a Peach Boy movie it's in the vein of this kind of thing it's definitely in the same spirit I'm looking forward to it mid-80s late-80s Taiwanese creative fantasy vein that we enjoy sort of tapping into i think it's uh, a suitable double bill to to go with um for episode 21 absolutely and magic warriors actually features uh, alexander luray which is a great 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 kung fu player and is uh, co-directed by uh lee chonam who directed kung fu wonder child and a life of ninja challenge of the lady ninja so it's a director we've en- uh, encountered uh, before so there it is, people. Let's uh, finish this one off then by doing some very brief contact information. This has been Taiwan War on the Podcast on Fire network. We are located on podcastonfire.com. You can find uh, this show, all our other shows and bonus episodes on there. If you have any feedback, uh, share with us uh, what you thought of the Child of Peach. If you did watch it, at pod- uh, the email address is at podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Follow the links on our website to our various social media, including Facebook, Twitter, and as well as to our iTunes feed and to our Stitcher feed as well. And if you want to stream us on Stitcher specifically, that's uh, the better way and smoother way to do it is to download the free applications from the Apple App Store and Google Play. And uh, my reviews are available at SoGoodReviews.com. My video hub is LazyKVideo.com and my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. And again, our friend Hastus Perez Molina's blog, Golden Ninja Warrior Chronicles, have uh, specific links to the Taiwanese Black Movies post posts are available in the show post and that's me and uh, what's uh, your plugs in short again uh, so the floor is yours buddy okay well i can be found as always on my blog uh die danger die die kill aka 40k that's die danger die die kill dot blogspot dot com and that's where i uh, review all kinds of movies from all over the place. I just put up some reviews of some Ghanaian action movies and uh, I think a Iranian vampire film from the 60s. So it's kind of very varied. And if you go there, I mean when you go there, check the right sidebar and you'll see links to uh, where you can buy my book, most importantly, uh, to my Facebook page, to my Twitter account, and to my Tumblr, all that good stuff. So in short, buy my book, listen to my radio show, listen to my podcast, both of them. And also I've been writing some stuff for Teleport City again, so check that out too. But don't, but don't pee in his face, people. I also want to add that my review of Child of Peach has allowed a lot of people to come to my site by searching the term face pissing, which I imagine, <laughs> which I imagine I was very, 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, some of my best friends I've made as a result of uh, yeah, who searched out face pissing and ended up on my doorstep. The internet, it's a crazy place. Let's sign off. I've been Kenny Beer. With me was Todd Statman to uh, discuss uh, all that is Peach Boy and Momotaro, including the face pissing. So uh, thank you, Todd, for coming on and say bye, buddy. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hi,